And a very good evening to you. Welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Coming up in today's broadcast of the Catholic View, we'll be talking about mine action and humanitarian work. But before that, we begin as usual with some of the stories making headlines in Africa and beyond. This time around with Mahadi Butelezi. So do stay tuned. Listen to Radio Veritas, 5.76 a.m. For a change. Bringing you your news headlines from Africa and beyond. Vatican Museums promotes blood donation. Fuel price hike squeezes the poor and PayPal basilicas coming to the big screen. Good evening, I am Mahadi Butelezi. The Vatican Museums are part of a cooperative effort to raise awareness about the need to keep up the hospital blood supply and to encourage exposure to the great cultural patrimony of Western civilization. Chris Alteri has more. The Rossoarte Initiative is a joint venture by the Vatican Museums, Rome's Policlinico Tor Vergata, the Tor Vergata General Hospital and the chaplaincy of the facility, and the volunteer organization In Punta di Piedi. From now until the end of the year, all donors who present themselves at the Tor Vergata Transfusion Center will receive a personal voucher for a very special ticket rate that comes with skip-the-line privileges at the museums. A press release from the museums explains that the Rossoarte Initiative seeks to unite the joy of giving to the thrill of experiencing the masterpieces kept in the Pope's museums and offer a concrete sign of gratitude towards all those who, in a profoundly significant act of civic responsibility and solidarity, periodically, anonymously, and responsibly donate blood. A press conference to present further details of the initiative is scheduled for the 7th of April in the Vatican Museum's Conference Hall. I'm Chris Oltieri. It is still Lent in Ethiopia. Preparations for Easter continue as well as the activities of the small Catholic communities of Oromia. Among these, a group of young children from the children's home in Adaba, led by Fidi Dunum priest, have become true missionaries, and with him they have begun to evangelize with the nearby communities. Equipped with their catechism exercise books with the pictures, the group of children explain to peers what is written. In total, there are now about 40 children and teens who find themselves in Adaba Children's Home. Liberian President Alan Johnson Sirleaf has declared April the 8th, 2016 as National Fast and Prayer Day and is to be observed throughout Liberia as a national holiday. Prelates, priests, elders, deacons, evangelists, imams, and all residents, regardless of religious creed, will gather with one accord in their places of worship across Liberia in simple and non-costly apparel to fast, pray, and meditate from 8 o'clock in the morning in recognition of God's love and guidance. 
According to Agencia Fides News reports, the Libyan State Council envisaged by the Organization of National Reconciliation Agreements signed in Morocco under the auspices of the UN were convened this Tuesday for its first meeting in Tripoli. As the city streets are still patrolled by armed militias, Christian leaders say they live waiting and praying for peace. Meanwhile, after years of living in fear of standing up for their rights, Libyan women are now emerging to claim better political representation. That's the understanding of Magda El Sanusi, gender advisor at the United Nations Support Mission in Libya. Carmen Kesta-Roca spoke to Magda El Sanusi about the newfound empowerment of women in Libya. They are on the rise in a sense of they continue their struggle, they are restless, they are seeking for peace, they are accompanying all the processes that are happening in, in their country. And has political participation among women increased or decreased in, in recent years in the country? I often uh, challenge the, the people like how, how best we define the political participation in terms of uprise of women coming up to be part of the, the processes and for seeking peace. I think there is a huge amount or a large number of women who are calling upon peace, uh, peace attainment. If we are talking about the representation of women in the formal structure, and I think they are trying their post, they are pushing for their representation uh, to the best that will fulfill their aspiration. But they are there in the political space. What kind of proportion of women are there? I think that uh, in the current government of National Accord, there are three ladies out of uh, 18 members. So it's, it's, it's a progress somehow. I think they did a very significant uh, progress and achievement in the political Libyan political agreement, whereby they have included the establishment of women's empowerment as support unit to be part of the presidential council, which is, is very good because it will increase women's profile and representation in, in the public life. And what kind of impact does, you know, in this transition period with the absence of law and order, what kind of impact does that absence have on on women progressing in political life, cultural life, social life? Of course, al- al- politi- al- 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 insecurity, al- definitely, not only in Libya and everywhere. Uh, if there is insecurity, women lose out because um, there are the, the, maybe the majority, their mobility become a little bit uh, restricted to participate in the public life. There is a fear that uh, influences the shrinking of their space uh, to be fully engaged in whatever they wish. Like, nevertheless, what I use always uh, to say, uh, the hard time um, uh, that Libya had or still having has really created a new, a, new, a new Libyan women who are standing up and not feeling scared or to hide. So they struggle and continue and take all the challenge to, to have that space and be there. I want to know what, what do you think the effect the UN presence in the country has had on empowering women and improving the situation, um, or not, uh, if the case may be? Definitely. The, 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 the Libyan women, uh, of, of course, um, um, UN came at a time after the, the revolution. That means building a new era for Libyan women. Libyan women need now to, they, have, they haven't had a good, uh, a strong history and civil society organization and women's groups that can stand up and advocate and demand women rights. So there has been a kind of transformation where women made use of uh, the democratic transition in terms of stepping in 
now how to fight, how to. So I think the UN has been, especially UNSMIR, has been accompanying women along all those processes. For example, in the various election advocacy, supporting the candidates, pushing for women's representation, having a quota. And I think to a large extent, our voice, which often I have to admit, backed up the voice of Libyan women. Because of that demand, UN uh, support. So we consider ourselves as part of the whole uh, movement and women's coming together that has which we have started to see uh, after three or four years of, of UN presence uh, uh, with the Libyans. And that was Magda El speaking about the newfound empowerment of women in Libya. The conflict in Libya has been ongoing since 2011, but in January 2016, a new proposed government was announced, the Government of National Accord, which is backed by the United Nations. For the first time, Rome's four papal basilicas are literally coming to the big screen. For three days next week, they will be their protagonists in a 3D film boasting previously unpublished images and hidden details in their art treasures. Lydia O'Kane has more. Cinema audiences will be guided on a 3D tour of St. Peter's, St. John Lateran, St. Mary Major and St. Paul's outside the walls. During the 90-minute film entitled St. Peter's and the Papal Basilicas of Rome, experts will explain how these famous places of prayer have evolved over the centuries, illustrating the works of art they contain and the celebrated artists associated with them, including Giotto, Michelangelo and Bernini. Thanks to the vast arsenal of technology employed, audiences will be able to see and appreciate the hidden details of the art treasures, such as Michelangelo's signature on the Pietà. In addition, cinema-goers will be able to view unpublished images thanks to the use of helicopters. And to complete this visual feast for the eye, the power of 3D will put the viewer in the middle of the scene and in direct contact with the works of art. One of those featured in the film is the director of the Vatican Museums, Antonio Paolucci. He says the production that Sky is doing is precious for people who think they know these monuments, but in reality they don't know them and they don't see them, so it's a kind of visual help. The film, which will be distributed in over 50 countries, including Italy, Mexico, Chile, Peru, Colombia, Canada, UK, Ireland and Spain, is produced by the Vatican Television Centre and Sky 3D in collaboration with the Italian Ministry of Heritage and Culture. I'm Lydia O'Kane. Fresh allegations of sexual exploitation and abuse by UN peacekeepers from Tanzania in the Democratic Republic of Congo have been made. The Tanzanian contingent has been serving with the UN Mission's Force Intervention Brigade in Mavivi village in the east of the country. Here's UN spokesperson Stephanie Dujeric. According to preliminary information, there are 11 allegations of sexual exploitation and abuse against the Tanzanian contingent in the area. All of them involve paternity claims. The Tanzanian battalion commander has detained implicated contingent members in the base awaiting further investigation. Investigations by several UN teams into sexual abuse allegations are continuing in Central African Republic. Teams from troop-contributing countries as well as Secretary-General's special coordinator on the issue are due to arrive in the region in the next few days. 
and back home. Fuel prices are expected to rise by a large margin at midnight this evening, with the petrol price increasing by 88 cents, diesel by 97 cents, and paraffin by 76 cents a litre. The price increases come as ESCOM hikes tariff by 9.4% at the beginning of this month and as the severe drought that the country is experiencing affects food prices. Economist and head of the School of Economic Business Science at Vets University, Professor Yanni Rousseau, says the petrol price increase will have a ripple effect as this means that food prices, inflation and interest rates will go up. We see the ripple effect of the fuel. We see food prices increasing and food prices particularly putting poor people in a squeeze. And as a result of that, of course, the rate of inflation is going up. And with that, we see interest rate increases. So South African consumers are really in for a hard time. And my first advice to South African consumers at this point in time is avoid additional debt. Do not take on further commitments. So avoid going deeper into debt. That's the first very important advice. Uh, Until we have a new season where we have good rains again, food will remain expensive. So we will probably see food being expensive until the end of this year. If we have a normal rain season in our summer rainfall areas towards the end of this year, food prices might decline. We are very lucky in South Africa that the international oil price is low in the region of 35 to $40 a barrel. And South Africa should simply hope that oil prices stay in that region. Because if oil prices increase back to levels we saw before, petrol will become even more expensive. In a message released to coincide with the International Day for Mine Awareness observed annually on the 4th of April, UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon expressed particular concern about the use of explosive weapons in populated areas. Ban Ki-moon said tackling the lethal hazards posed by landmines and other explosive devices in and around conflict zones is a key humanitarian challenge. Daniel Johnson reports. On the International Day for Mine Awareness and Assistance in Mine Action, UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon's message underlines that it's civilians, not combatants, who are the worst affected by landmines, cluster munitions and improvised explosive devices. Now in its 11th year, the International Day is a reminder to states to take action on mines and explosive remnants of war in places where they threaten people's lives or hinder development. The UN chief's message that mine action is humanitarian action is shared by UNMAS, the United Nations Mine Action Service. It's behind a social media campaign using that message with the MAHA handle. Here's spokesperson Bruno Donat. Landmines kill at least 10 people every day around the world and severely maim countless more. 40% of these casualties are children. Through the UN, work is ongoing to alleviate the suffering in high-risk environments and help communities look forward. This is done by clearing land that's been contaminated with mines and anything else that explodes, as well as telling communities about the risks. In South Sudan, millions of square metres of land have been made safe in the last year, and in Syria, 14 tonnes of unexploded ordnance have been destroyed since last August. Daniel Johnson, Geneva. You can hear more of the story after the news.
And finally, late President Nelson Mandela's grandsons say the global battle against HIV-AIDS can be won in their lifetime. Ndaba and Gwegu Mandela are spokespersons for the Protect the Goal campaign launched by UNAIDS in connection with the 2014 World Cup in Brazil. The two cousins were in Moscow recently for the 5th Eastern Europe and Central Asia AIDS Conference. Diane Penn reports. Ndaba and Kweku are continuing the legacy of their late grandfather, Nelson Mandela, South Africa's first democratically elected president and a lifelong human rights advocate. They promote UN efforts to raise awareness about HIV and AIDS among young people in their homeland. It is this demographic which will help turn the tide on the global epidemic, according to the UN body that's leading the fight, UNAIDS. Michelle Sidibe is UNAIDS Executive Director. Youth need to be at the center of our approach because we are talking about sexuality. You cannot really equip young people if you don't make a sexuality education universal. So I think it's important for us to consider youth as an actor of change but not a passive beneficiaries of our action. UNAIDS has implemented a fast-track strategy to avert nearly 28 million new HIV infections and 21 million AIDS-related deaths over the coming years. The strategy in part seeks to ensure that people living with HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, receive proper treatment. Ndaba Mandela says South Africa can teach countries a thing or two about providing access to these life-saving medicines known as antiretroviral therapies. Well, I mean, I think the whole world can really look at South Africa and look at how we came from a nation that was in denial to a nation that fought the HIV uh, epidemic head-on. You know, when you look at how the antiretrovirals have now been administered, particularly in South Africa, by looking at the licensing and the laws, other countries can also look at this model and see how they can make the antiretroviral drugs much more cheaper and the treatment much more effective for their people so that they don't have to deal with international laws. Kweku Mandela credits this success to South Africa's youth. A lot of that's been driven by young activists who for a long time, because our government wasn't providing um, drugs and was refusing to acknowledge uh, the seriousness of HIV and AIDS, um, they had to basically take a major stand and campaign for quality drugs ultimately at an affordable price. And because of that movement, they were able ultimately to get that delivered to them, but also I think start a movement globally where citizens demanded this of their government. Ndaba Mandela and his cousin Kweku, grandsons of the late Nelson Mandela, speaking in Moscow where they took part in a regional conference on AIDS. And these have been your news from Africa and beyond. Have yourselves a very good evening. You are still listening to The Catholic View, and I'm Shayla Birish. Thank you so much for being here with me. Catholic View is coming to you on Radio Veritas, 576 AM, otherwise on 870 DSTV Audio Bouquet. Coming up next in the broadcast, we're talking about mine action and humanitarian work.
On the 8th of December 2005, the United Nations General Assembly declared that 4th April of each year shall be observed as the International Day for Mine Awareness and Assistance in Mine Action, otherwise known as UNMAS. Now, UNMAS Chief Bruno Donat said that the UN member states are increasingly supportive of the service efforts. Mine action is not only about mines, it's about cluster munitions. And when I talk to younger adults, I usually imagine anything that goes boom. So you know that this is where UNMAS and others would intervene to really take care of clearing the land and which would give access to humanitarian. If you look at the news today, be it in Syria, in Yemen, you know there are bombs, you know there are shells, mortars. What it means, you need to clear those things before doing anything else, even if it is to move populations, IDPs, children, women, refugees. So for us, it's a daily operational matter to prioritize mine action to enable delivery of aid, for instance. And another area would be to allow peacekeepers to do their job. So you need mine action. That is why the theme chosen today for this year is mine action is indeed humanitarian action. Do you get the impression that with the Secretary General Ban Ki-moon's message on international awareness for Mine Day, raising awareness for this special day, and a recent UN General Assembly resolution, do you think there's a growing awareness that landmine clearance and anything that explodes clearance is becoming more and more important today on the humanitarian scene? Indeed, because more and more you see Security Council mandate, country-specific, asking for an intervention specifically on mine action. The recent General Assembly resolution was voted unanimously, so every single member said voted for it, and it gives a mandate to the UN to do more about mines and to include IEDs, improvised explosive devices. So yes, it is more and more important. And if you heard today, the Secretary General in his measures, especially uh, for mine action, he explained and he said ahead of the World Humanitarian Summit. It's so important because as we move forward in any crisis, it's so important that the humanitarian conversation includes the dangers of explosive hazards. Of course, we also have now, as you've seen, Daniel Craig, who's, well, we know him mostly for his James Bond role, but he is an excellent advocate for the national community so that as we move forward, hopefully more and more member states would join the bandwagon to go towards the elimination of mines. On that point, uh, you know, the three main conventions on landmines and ordnance and cluster munitions, lots of signatories were not there yet, but is there an element of frustration that uh, you have a lot of signatories, but still we have this landmine threat? I am sure some people would be frustrated, but in terms of our position in UNMAS, we are there to support member states. So UNMAS has also that role that we are the coordinator on the UN side and we are the chair of what we call the United Nations Interagency Coordination Group on Mine Action consisting of some 14 UN agencies. So what we do there, we call for the universalization on behalf of the United Nations. We also sensitize member states to join 
to sign and to do uh, a lot of work. And there I don't speak only on behalf of UNMAS, but I, we speak also on behalf of the whole United Nations. So we are in the position that the more we talk about it, the more we sensitize member states, the better it will be. And I'm really thinking not about folks in Geneva, but I'm thinking about children, women, boys and men who are in the field who die. I mean, I can tell you these days, the statistics show that a landmine kill at least 10 people every day around the world and actually severely maim uh, countless more. And of these, 40% of these casualties are children. Dean Penn spoke to UNMAS communications officer Lee Woodier about an exhibition at the UN headquarters that looks at this year's theme, Mine Action is Humanitarian Action. We went to Cyprus in October last year, and it was the first mission of the United Nations Global Advocate for the Elimination of Mines and Explosive Hazards, Mr. Daniel Craig, the British actor. It was just before the James Bond film Spectre came out, and so it was a time where there was a lot of interest in him, specifically, and it was nice that he had that time to do a mission for us. And I guess it must be important to have somebody like James Bond on your team. A hundred percent. It just brings a lot of attention to the issue. It's something that he cares about a great deal, which is very nice um, for us because he can talk about it. And a lot of different people will listen to him as opposed to a United Nations bureaucrat, for example. We're um, looking at one of the photos from Cyprus. Tell us about it. It looks like there's a miner and some very old looking uh, mines there. Yeah, this trip that we did was to give the Global Advocate a chance to actually go to an active minefield. And what we're looking at in this picture, and just to say, anybody can go to the United Nations Unmass website, it's unmass.org, and actually see the entire photo exhibition. Um, but what we're looking at right here is a Cambodian D-miner wiring up three anti-tank mines. Those three anti-tank mines were found very close to this area. They're some 40 years old. They were put in the ground in the buffer zone between the Greek and the Turkish sides. And they're now being demined. This demining is going on now because confidence is being built between the two sides as the peace process moves forward. So for us to be able to react rapidly and go in when there's a call for it and get rid of some landmines, every landmine out of the ground brings the communities literally closer together. And um, of course the mines, they also hamper everyday life. There's another photo of a tractor. It looks like it's stalled in a field. Yeah, that's very specific. Okay, when you have landmines or even the perception that there are landmines, because landmines, again, they're buried in the ground. They're buried in the ground by soldiers, um, usually as a defensive position to hold, the, to make sure that they're not going to be attacked at a certain point. They're forgotten. They sit there, but they don't turn off. They can be there like these ones I just pointed out for 40 years or more. And anybody who comes along and steps on them, and these are anti-tank mines, so normally it would take 100 and some kilos to put them off. But after 40 years, you don't know what would set them off. Maybe it would be a child jumping rope that could set them off. In this case where you have the tractor, that's exactly what happened. This was a a farmer who had gone into the zone of confidence or into the, the buffer zone in Cyprus. And just that, they had actually run into a mine. They're very lucky. The whole front left end of that tractor is missing, but the farmer inside of the tractor was uh, taken out and is safe and sound. Um, However, the tractor is not going to be moved for probably a long time because now the miners have to come in and get rid of the mines all around it so that it can actually safely be moved. Uh, But that's an idea. The point is, is that we did this uh, exhibition before last year and we have it this year in Geneva called the Digital Minefields. And a digital minefield is something that gives you, through an application, an iOS or an Android application, it gives you the sensation of walking through a minefield, just orally. You listen to it, right? It's on your phone. It's on your phone, and you put in earbuds. It's called Sweeper app. And if you walk through and you listen to this thing and you just get that fear of like, oh my God, every step is dangerous. 
So let's just say in New York City, for example, there's one landmine, just one. It's been buried somewhere in this city. How many children would go to school tomorrow? How many people would be going to work? Who would go to a park? Just think for a moment. Just one. Even the perception that there's one. That's the point of landmines, is that if you have them around there, you live in insecurity. If you're a parent, you're always worried about where your children are. If you're a farmer, you're always worried about which parts of the land you can use. Often places that are mined during conflict are places that people need the most. Wells, passages across rivers or across fjords or places that you need to get to, um, or even places that have shade. So example, if it's a very hot country, if there's a little shade under a tree, it could be mined. Let's move from Cyprus to Afghanistan because one of the things that the UN Mine Action Service does is of course help victims. Tell us um, about that particular pillar of your work. Victim assistance is a very, very important part of what we do. Survivors of a landmine uh, accident, there are way too many of them. They continue, they're much less than there used to be, but the big goal there is how do they get back into their communities? Often it's children. So that's very hard for the families. It takes a lot of money. You have to get prosthetic limbs. You have to go through a lot of rehabilitation. And then after that, you have to be reintroduced in order to be able to go to school or if, it's, if you're the, the breadwinner of a family in order to find some type of job where you can work, whether you're missing an arm or you're blinded or you're missing a leg. Um, and so that's the work. That's what it's aimed at. And it's aimed at getting governments to step up and do what they can for that. And where they can't, we try to fill in to try to set up programs and try to find assistance that can be used on a temporary basis for whatever, one to five years. You've been listening to Catholic View, a program presented for Radio Veritas by Shayla Pirsch. Thank you so much for listening. This is how we come to the end of today's broadcast of the Catholic View. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao.